Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everybody, to the 58th episode of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. Hello, moms in the trenches. I am so grateful for each and every one of you that is listening to this podcast. I am here to help you, and I appreciate you so much. So many of you have sent me these heartfelt notes. Let me know how much these podcasts are helping you. And just you're seeing changes with your teens, and that just makes my heart so happy. So if my podcasts have helped you, I would so appreciate it if you would give me a five-star review on iTunes, and that just lets other moms be able to find this podcast. Today, we are going to talk about how to think about your teen. Why is this important? Because how you think about your teen is going to either make you completely miserable or it's going to give you just peace of mind. So this is really important to explore. So how and what you think about your teen greatly impacts your teen. Years ago, I saw a 19-year-old girl named Jamie in my private practice. Jamie was one of those shiny and hilarious human beings. She came to see me because her mother thought she needed to see a therapist. Now, I have seen many resistant, angry teens who are forced to come to therapy by their mothers, but Jamie wasn't one of those. She was warm and pleasant. I asked her why her mom thought she should come to see me. She said, well, my mom thinks I'm really screwed up. Now, I need to tell you that Jamie's mom was a psychologist, um, and she wasn't practicing at the time. Um, And Jamie goes on to say, she says, I'm a drug and alcohol addict, that I am codependent, I have an eating disorder, I am depressed, I am anxious, I'm bipolar, I have terrible self-esteem. Now, that's a boatload of diagnoses that would scare the most seasoned therapist. But I didn't want to buy into her despair or her mother's despair and hopelessness. As I looked at this beautiful young woman with eyes that literally smiled, I went with my gut. And I thought, how would I feel about myself if I was given all those diagnoses? To break the tension and to make Jamie feel more comfortable, I said, well, if someone said I had all those diagnoses, I would... definitely have a terrible self-esteem too, maybe that's not who you are. Now, I didn't say that to go against her mom or the clinicians who diagnosed her, though I did question that she had all of those, but this was still our first session. The reason I told her that was because Jamie saw herself as flawed, that she was broken, that there was something horribly wrong with her, and that she would never have a normal life, and that she would never be happy. And she thought, with all those diagnoses, for sure no one would ever marry her if she was so effed up. See, I said that because Jamie was looking intensely at my face, wanting to know if I bought her story Or just maybe, just maybe, 
I could see beyond her diagnoses and see who she really was. She was hoping for hope. See, Jamie saw her whole identity reduced to the sum of all her diagnoses. Now, I have studied the DSM, the Diagnostical Statistical Manual, which was one of the courses I needed to get my master's in marriage and family therapy. And like any medical diagnosis, the diagnosis is only helpful when it points the way to treatment and gives you tangible and practical steps to be free and healed. You want to focus on the healing part. The early founders of family therapy were disgruntled psychiatrists who started to think outside the limits of psychodynamic theory and the medical model. Jay Haley in the 60s was a huge contributor and pioneer to family therapy. He coined the term problem-solving therapy, strategic family therapy, which later developed into solution family therapy. Jay Haley and another pioneer of family therapy, Salvador Mnuchin, heavily criticized the DSM in the 60s. They saw the limitations and the constrictiveness of the DSM and how many times it was not helpful in treatment. One of the premises of problem-solving therapy, Haley states, is that you want to define a problem in a way that it is solvable. So when you give a diagnosis that you don't think can be solved, then it's not helpful for treatment and that person is left only with a label. So you need to be very careful when you give a teen a diagnosis that it points to treatment and it gives that adolescent hope. Because many times the diagnosis just confirms to the teen that they're not worthy of love and belonging, that there's something really wrong with them. The diagnosis makes them more depressed and just knocks the wind out of them, and they just feel a lot of shame. A diagnosis can become a label that sticks, and this was especially true for Jamie. In that first session, I told Jamie that I wanted to get to know her. And I found out that she was incredibly smart and one of the funniest people that had ever come in my office. I also found out that she loved to sing. Back then, across from my office building was an enclosed garage that had great acoustics. So one session, we walked over to the garage and she sang to me. And I was blown away by this amazing, gorgeous voice. Jamie told me in that first session that after she graduated from high school, she moved from Houston to California to go to college. She dropped out of school after one semester, and she did abuse drugs and alcohol. And yes, she was anxious and depressed at the time, and she did overeat. But I was very careful how I framed that to Jamie. I didn't want the diagnoses to be how Jamie labeled herself. Because if these diagnostic labels stuck, then Jamie would be stuck, and she would see these diagnoses as her identity. Jamie continued to come to therapy, and she got a job at a car dealership, answering calls for all the car salesmen. And there was a lot to keep straight, but she made it a game and wanted to be the best employee that they ever saw. She brought her sense of joy and playfulness with an impeccable work ethic to her job, and she was financially rewarded. She wanted to finish college, and she had saved enough money to do that. But her mom didn't want her to quit that job because she was afraid, because those diagnoses labels had stuck for this mom, 
that her daughter was mentally ill and couldn't do that. But Jamie decided to quit. She went back to school, and she graduated with honors from the University of Houston. Because Jamie got free of seeing herself as all those labels, she wasn't limited anymore, and she was able to go for her dreams. And she did amazing. Now, I want to be totally clear with you. I believe in psychotherapy. I am a psychotherapist. I've been a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor for over 25 years. I just think we have to be very, very careful about labeling people with a diagnosis. But I think anyone, anyone can benefit from therapy, actually. In fact, I have a resource for you today that I think it could be really helpful. Now, I don't want to confuse you because I do lots of mom coaching and many of you who are listening have contacted me and asked me to coach you around your teen and I love that. That is my superpower. But I don't do individual counseling um, with y'all. So there may be some of you that are struggling with personal issues like anxiety, grief, depression, not sleeping, anger, or trauma. And this can help. BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. They have licensed professional counselors in a safe and private online environment. It's super convenient. You don't have to leave your house. And here's what I like. If for some reason you don't click with the counselor that you have, then you can can request another one at any time. They have 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across 50 states. You can have your sessions over the phone or video in the comfort of your own home. And you don't have to wait a month to even get started. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. The best news is that it's affordable. Power Your Parenting's Moms with Teens listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code PARENTING. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com parenting. Simply fill out a questionnaire which just helps them assess your needs and helps you get matched with the perfect counselor. Um, So if that sounds like something that you need, go to betterhelp.com slash parenting. Okay, back to our episode. No one likes to be labeled, right? I mean, I don't want to be labeled. But moms, we can unintentionally label our teens. Teachers and coaches and instructors can also label our teens. And when I'm talking a label, I mean a negative label that sticks. We don't give our teens a negative label when everything is going well. We tend to give a negative label when we are emotionally flooded with negative emotions. We can get so frustrated, irritated, angry with our teen and their behavior that we pull out that big gun, which is the negative label. Like, you are such a liar. You are so manipulative. You are so mean. You're so lazy. You are such a slut. You are a B-I-T-C-H. You are so selfish. You are so stupid. You are so entitled. You are so rude. When you say to your teen, you are and you put in a label, you're saying to them that their very essence is a liar. And when that label sticks, the child or teen internalizes that as, 
I am a liar. I am stupid. I am selfish. I am lazy. And this is who I am. This is especially true because of where the teenage brain is developmentally. I think sometimes parents throw out labels hoping to shock their teen into behaving differently, to be the opposite of the label. Really, we are hoping that their behavior will change, that the label will motivate or change our teen's behavior when nothing else works, that they will be nicer, do their homework, listen to us, be more pleasant, not get pregnant, or get someone else pregnant. Here's the deal. Labels don't motivate or change your teen's behavior in any positive way. What they hear is... I am a liar, so that's who I am. I am rude, that's who I am. The teen believes the label and collapses into resignation. If you use labels, you are actually going to get more and more of the behavior you don't want. These labels are hard to shake for teens. They often drag them into their young adulthood and beyond. Labeling our teen isn't good for us either because they restrict the way we see and think about our teen. We start to see our teens as someone who is lazy, who is selfish, who is rude, who is a B-I-T-C-H, who is stupid. And often then, that's all we see. We can look for evidence that they are a liar and start checking everything to confirm that they're lying. And then the fear rides in. Oh my God, my daughter has all these diagnoses. There's something seriously wrong with her. Or, oh my gosh, my son's a liar. What will, he, what will he be like in 10 years? Is he going to be one of those corrupt businessmen? Oh no, my daughter is a SLUT. She's going to get pregnant before she's out of high school. Her reputation's going to get ruined. My reputation's going to get ruined. A byproduct of fear is you hyperfocus on what you are afraid of. If you're afraid your daughter is going to be obese, you hyperfocus on every bite of food that she eats. When you're around other moms, it's hard to feel comfortable. You're afraid you and your teen are going to be found out. You feel shame because of your teen's label, and you don't want that exposed. You try to go to sleep, and that fear hijacks your sleep, and you recount all the evidence why that label is true about your teen, and then you suffer over and over and over about it. I saw a mom in my private practice, and she told me her son James, a junior in high school, had lied to her about several things, like where he was going in the car. He said, I would never drink and drive, but there were beer cans under his seat. She obsessed about his lies, and this became the only thing she thought about when she thought about James. He is a liar. She spent most of her free time checking on him to make sure he was telling the truth. She confronted him when she thought he was lying. She told me that she worried about this 24-7 and that it was her job. You might be thinking, well, this mom is just doing her job. Well, yes and no. Of course you want to monitor your teen and check their stories, They need that accountability, but this mom got so hyper-focused on her son being a liar and all the time she obsessed and all the time she spent checking on him didn't bring her relief. It made her worry more, and it negatively impacted her relationship with her son. He started avoiding her because she was always confronting him. The problem was she forgot about all those wonderful attributes and strengths that James had. She thought of him as a liar, and she couldn't see anything else. I started redirecting Mom and asked her, what were some of James's strengths? You could see Mom's face soften, and she started smiling. 
Well, James has lots of friends, and he's charming. Parents love him, and he's, he's very respectful to them. He makes good grades. He used to bring a lot of levity and laughter into the home until he started lying. As I continued to question Mom about James, she said, Actually, he's really resourceful and can take care of himself. If I dropped him off on a deserted island and all he had was a paper bag, he could find his way home. When Mom heard herself say this, she laughed and was able to relax. This is what was needed to shift for Mom to start enjoying her son again. She realized James did lie, but that didn't define him. As a result of this shift in Mom, she started smiling at James and was much more relaxed. Because of this, James stopped avoiding his mom and volunteered more information to her. James was no longer labeled a liar by his mom, but if James did lie to his mom, she would give James a consequence. But mom thought about James differently, which is key here. She kept in mind everything that made James who he is. Because she changed how she thought about her son, she was able to enjoy his last year at home during his senior year. See, how you think about your teen is not hidden from your teen. It is very evident to them. You wear that fear, sadness, or anger on your face. It comes out in your words and your actions. It comes out in your questions. It comes out in your intensity, your body language. They see your stress. It doesn't feel good being around someone that only thinks negative things about you. Would you want to go to lunch with someone who only saw you as a negative label? Let's say you're having an off day and your mean voice says, you are so fat. Would you want to go to lunch with a friend who hyper-focused on what you ordered in the restaurant and every bite you took and then started giving you advice about what foods you should or should not eat? You could tell what she was thinking about you by how she looked at you and what questions she asked you. You would be thinking, I need to get out of here. You don't want to be around someone who makes you feel worse about yourself. You want to be around someone who sees you and sees your potential, sees your best, and doesn't hyper-focus on where you are struggling. Okay, some of you may say, but my son does lie. My daughter does say mean things. My son doesn't think things through. Of course, they are teenagers. You definitely want to address the behavior of lying without saying your teen is a liar. You want to address the risky behavior of your son without saying you're so stupid. In other words, you want to talk about the behavior and separate that from the person, who they are. For example, instead of saying that you are a liar, you can say, Last night you told me that you were going to the library and that was not true. You went to your girlfriend's house. This way you're addressing the behavior. You don't want to deny the behavior. Talk to your teen about it. You can give them a consequence about the behavior. Labeling your teen by saying you are a liar is not a consequence. It is destructive to your teen and your relationship. How you think about your teen is the deep work of parenting. So let me ask you, how do you think about your teen? If I asked you this question, my teen is blank, what would you say? However you answer that question is going to show how you think about your teen. And how you think about your teen is how you're going to direct how you talk and interact and parent your teen. Okay, let's travel back in time. 
You remember that first day they put your baby in your arms, and you were so amazed at this little miracle, this gift from God, or you may call the universe, this new human being, and you marveled at every time the baby would master something like, look, she's kicking, or she grabbed my finger, or he's pulling up. And every time she smiled or laughed. Yes, your baby pooped, spit up, cried, but those things didn't define who she was. You expected that. You expected the messy. The messy is part of the mix. That's how you would think about it. There is a maturity gap in teens, and I have a whole podcast on that. The prefrontal cortex that helps monitor morality, conscience, empathy, emotional regulation, comprehending cause and effect, perspective, and self-awareness, that part of the brain is undeveloped. The wiring of the brain, myelination, is not complete. Teens are hardwired for drama and hardwired to make mistakes. But still, your teen is a miracle and still a gift from God in the universe. You can still marvel at where they are progressing and delight in who they are and be grateful for their presence in your life. And there is the messy. And there is a lot of metaphorical poop when raising a teen. But again, don't let the messy define how you think about your teen. And if a professional gives your teen a diagnosis, use that as a signpost towards healing. Don't let that diagnosis define who your teen is. In other words, don't let the diagnosis, depression, anxiety, define them. That is so constrictive and can be putting your teen in handcuffs. How to think about your teen? Well, teens are emotionally and biologically immature, though their bodies are fully developed and so is their intellect. This maturity gap can confuse us. Though you are looking at a teen who looks like an adult and thinks they are an adult and knows more than you, they are still a work in progress. Listen, moms, their worst mistake does not equal who they are or who they will become. It does not define them. It is normal that your teen makes mistakes. Unfortunately, our culture today is having a huge negative impact on teens, especially girls. A third of our girls are going to have depression and anxiety. And yes, that is alarming. But see those diagnoses as situational and temporary. This is important information that lets us know that our teens need some tools and therapy and skills to get through this dangerous terrain of adolescence. Don't think about this as permanent or that's who they are. In other words, don't think of it as a label that sticks. Here's the challenge for moms. Human beings have a propensity to only see the negative. The negative screams at us like red flashing lights. The positive is there, but it's very quiet and can't compete with the loud screaming sirens of negative thoughts and worries. These worries automatically shape how we think about our teens. We see our daughter sad and crying in her room and we, we project it into the future. My daughter will never have friends and will die old and lonely and I will have to support her. If we are not intentional, the negative story wins over the true story. The true story is the blend of lots of facets of who they are, including positive and negative. If not intentional, the negative story will hijack your brain, and that's all you're going to think about all day long. 
If all you have is a 100% negative story about your teen, it's just not true. You are believing a lie. It can feel that way, but you're just not seeing the positive. Think of it this way. One of your roles as a parent is to see yourself as a treasure hunter, and you are looking for buried treasure in your teen. Know and believe that there is treasure in your teen. Believe that there are seeds of potential, gifts that haven't been uncovered yet, undiscovered talents. Yes, sometimes it is hidden, but look for the evidence that goodness and positive traits are in there, in your teen. What is helpful is to start a gratitude journal for your teen. This way you are retraining your brain to see the positive, to mine for buried treasure. The women in my Power Your Parenting program are doing this. I have them write, what are they grateful for? Where they see movement in their teen and what delights them about their teen. This makes a huge difference for moms when you start to see every day that your teens are making progress. You see them making better decisions like studying for a test without you even telling them to. You see your daughter's heart. Your son stood up for a kid at school. Your daughter did something thoughtful. When you see their unique personalities emerge and their unique sense of humor and how they think, watching their passions arise, watching their essence and uniqueness unfold, their quirky taste, well, there's nothing better in the whole world. You have to fight for this. You have to intentionally look for the positive. If you don't, you're going to spin a very negative narrative in your head about your teen And that is so draining and definitely not what you want. So moms, go forth and look for the buried treasure. Hey everybody, this concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I have some other great resources for you. You can head over to ColleenOGrady.com. That has two L's and two E's. You can sign up for my Dial Down the Drama triple pack. It's absolutely free. You get a copy of my free ebook, Seven Ways to Help Your Daughter and Yourself, a free chapter from my best selling and award winning book, Dial Down the Drama Reducing Conflict and Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, a Guide for Mothers Everywhere. And you get a free subscription to my weekly easing. If you're ready to pick up your copy of Dial Down the Drama, you can find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. For daily encouragement, Follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Colleen O'Grady Dial Down the Drama. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.